So my message this morning has come about as a result of my thoughts and um, processing of um, uh, this idea of connection and wanting to be connected to other people. Uh, you see, I realize that connection is something which is sought by everyone, um, but it can be something which we seek in different amounts at different times in our life, and particularly there can be events which might trigger um, us to particularly be seeking connection. Uh, for example, it might be some form of loss, or it could be moving to another country, which might mean that we just have that extra desire to make connection. Um, for myself, this event happened uh, a bit over a year ago uh, with the breakup of my marriage, and that uh, really triggered in me this desire to seek out additional connection. The trouble is, in order to have genu genuine connection with other people, it requires vulnerability. You have to be able to be vulnerable with others if you want to genuinely connect with them. And my, my definition of vulnerability in this case is kind of emotional risk. You have to be willing to take some emotional risk and kind of expose yourself in some way in order to have this genuine connection. And unfortunately, when it comes to vulnerability, it means dealing with shame. And so what I want to talk about today is shame and specifically how we can get some freedom from the shame in our life so that we can get, uh, enable ourselves to be more vulnerable with those around us, particularly those we love, so that we can get this added connection. You see, shame affects our ability to connect, both with God and with others. It is something which can limit our, our ability to be vulnerable and to connect. It's also something which limits our capacity for change, both internally, so um, we might have things about ourselves we want to change, but also in places of leadership. The reason which this happens, particularly in places of leadership, but also in ourselves, is that it prevents us from talking about the things which we need to talk about. If we're hiding from, because of shame, then we don't want to talk about the things which it relates to. And that if there are things which we want to change, either with ourselves, with our relationships with others, or particularly in leadership in our um, corporate community or as a leader in a particular area, then we can't get this real change unless we're willing to talk about these things which might have shame attributed to them. A classic example from the area of kind of leadership that I've heard of was a, um, a TED talk about a researcher and doctor who developed a checklist for doctors. And it was basically developed to help doctors avoid making mistakes during surgery. But the biggest ch challenge which he discovered was getting doctors to actually use the checklist because they saw the checklist as meaning that they had to admit that they weren't perfect. And that was something which they had been trained their entire careers to believe. They had been trained and taught that they are the foolproof person that does this. And so getting them to be willing to accept this change, to accept this checklist to help them improve in their surgery, meant dealing with the shame that comes from admitting that they weren't perfect, that they were able to make mistakes in these circumstances. So that's just one example of where shame can prevent 
us from getting change in a corporate setting, and also from where, how it can prevent us from getting change in ourselves. So it would be helpful to talk a little bit more about what shame actually is. And here I want to draw a clear distinction, because shame is not the same as guilt. And this is important because they have very different effects on us. The research indicates that shame is correlated. That means that more shame means more of these things. It is correlated with addiction, depression, violence, suicide, eating disorders. So a great many serious issues which we face in our lives are correlated directly with shame. But here's the thing. Guilt is inversely correlated with these things. So where, if, where we see shame and depression in the same areas, we see guilt leads to lack of depression. So what is the difference between these two? Well, it's subtle, but it is very profound. And I'd like to summarize it like this. Guilt says, I did wrong. I made a mistake. I did something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Shame is a judgment about ourselves, not about our actions. And that difference can be truly profound. One of the um, examples which I kind of get reminded whenever I think about this was a couple of years ago while I was over in Australia visiting my family. And I was spending some time with my older brother and his family, and he, has, um, he had three kids at that point in time. And we were um, sitting down enjoying our meal, and one of his kids came up to us and said, Chance is making bad decisions. And I thought, that's an interesting thing to say. And I, figured, and I learned from this that uh, when they're dealing with their children, when their children do something wrong, they don't say, don't be naughty. They say, are you making good decisions? And the thing which struck me about this was the way which it distinguishes the actions from the child. So rather than saying, you're doing this because you're naughty, they were saying, you get the power to make the decisions about what you want to do. And what we want for you is to make good decisions. So when you make bad decisions, you're not, be, you're not wrong in yourself. We are still loving you, but you need to make better decisions. And it was this interesting separation between the, uh, the actions which are being done and the value of the child itself. And that really stuck with me as this kind of clear contrast between um, guilt and shame, between judging our actions and judging ourselves. And... What I've noticed about this as well is that if you follow along from in this process, part of where I think the real power comes in separating out this guilt and shame is the way which enables us to change. You see, when we talk about guilt, we're saying, I did something wrong, which tends to then mean, I don't want to do it again, which then motivates change. We go, I did something wrong, I don't want to do it again, so I'm going to change the way I am. The trouble is with shame, it says, I am wrong, which tends to lead to this thought of, 
I can't help it, I'm going to do it again anyway. And what that does is it just drains hope that we can change. Another thing which I've noticed about the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt tends to be relatively easy to acknowledge. I mean, it's not always easy, but relatively easy to acknowledge and apologize for, particularly with those we love. If we do something and we realize we did something wrong that hurt someone we love, it's relatively easy for us to acknowledge, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. But if it's related to shame in our lives, we will do almost anything to avoid it to avoid mentioning it, to avoid talking about it, to avoid admitting it. And so this is where we, we have a much easier time acknowledging our guilt when we can acknowledge it as guilt without tying our shame into it. Shame is also something which is very ancient. In fact, it's been there since the first humans. And I want to go back and have a look at Genesis to see where we can see the first evidence of shame. Starting with Genesis chapter 3. So let's have a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. And we see here, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now this is the fruit which God had specifically instructed them, you can eat from anything except for this tree. Just don't eat this fruit. And this is the fruit which she has now eaten. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And I would say here, they realized they had something to hide. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here is that first realization, I have something to hide, and so I'm going to cover myself to hide it. And then this carries on in verse 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So again, they're recognizing, I have something to hide, and they're hiding from God. This is where their shame is preventing their connection with God. But God is still calling out to them and asking, where are you? Now obviously we could say, I mean, obviously God knows where they are. He's going through this process for their benefit. But it's interesting that we can see how their shame is affecting them almost immediately. They're hiding from each other and from God. And then we see um, in verse 10 and 11 what happens when they start to no longer be able to hide. So the man answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He was afraid because he realized he had something to hide from God and so he hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you you had something to hide? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And interestingly here, God's asking, have you done something wrong? He's asking, who told you you had something to, rot, to hide? Have you done something wrong? And then 
we see the first strategy which we learned on how to avoid dealing with our shame in verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. Now, there's a couple of things I find interesting about this verse. The first thing is you'll notice he actually admits guilt. He says, I ate it. But the other thing is this strategy of avoiding shame. He shifts it onto someone else. The woman you put here gave it to me, and I ate it. It's almost like he's trying to admit his guilt without acknowledging that that means that there's something wrong. He's like, I did it, but it's not my fault, it was her. And this is something, this strategy um, is still used today very frequently. It is probably one of our most uh, common strategies for dealing with shame when we can't hide from it anymore. So our first strategy for hiding from shame was shifting it on to others. Interestingly enough, in this case, you'll notice he even tried shifting it kind of onto God as well. It wasn't just the woman, it was the woman who you put here. So he's really trying hard to shift that shame off himself. And then in verse 13, we see it again when Eve says, uh, when the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So again, admitting guilt, I ate, but it wasn't my fault. The serpent tricked me. In this case, almost willing to... um, to accept a, one kind of weakness for another. So it's like, if there was anything wrong with me, it's that I'm too trusting of other people. I trusted him and he tricked me. But again, it's all about shifting that shame onto someone else. From here, we're probably quite familiar with the story. Um, the man and the woman then suffer the consequences of the sin and the fall of man occurs. But then I also want to pick up again a little bit later because there's something which God does which I find very interesting. In Genesis 3 verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What I find interesting about this is that it really reveals quite a lot about what God's response is to our shame. And particularly what I find interesting is um, that God doesn't strip away their hiding. They were using these fig leaves to hide their shame. And instead of stripping it away and exposing it, God actually creates garments for them to cover it, to help them. So what I see from this is God's response to our shame, firstly, is that he acknowledges it. He doesn't deny that it's there. He doesn't deny that it's there for a good reason. He acknowledges its existence. His second response, which we see here, is that he shields us from it. He didn't didn't leave Adam and Eve exposed in their shame, but he helped them to shield it and cover it. 
But then that leads to the final thing which he does, which is that he overcomes it for us. And we see this as a recurring theme all throughout the Bible, is God overcoming the shame of those who are suffering from it. With Adam and Eve, it was the shame of nakedness, of being exposed, and God provide them covering and shelter. With Abraham and Sarah, it was the shame of being barren and childless. God comes to them and says, I'm going to give you blessing. And Abraham basically says, what blessing is there that can be any good? Because I don't have any kids to pass it on. And God's response is, to that shame of barrenness, I am going to make you a father of nations. So he, he spoke directly into Abraham's shame. Then with Moses, when God get, talks to Moses and s- sends him to Pharaoh to free his people, Moses' response is that I can't talk well. This shame of, you know, last time I was there, all I could do was kill a guy I can't talk to these people. The only thing I'm good at is fighting and violence. And God says, I will speak through you. You will be my mouthpiece. You, your shame says that you can't talk well, but I will talk through you. You see, one of the shame's most common things that it keeps telling us is you can't do it. You can't do it because you can't do it because of this reason, because of who you are. But God's response to that is not by your power, but by mine. God's response to each of these characters was, you might be barren, but I will make you the father of nations. You might be poor in speech, but I will speak through you. And then finally... It brings us to God's final solution, which is to take away the very source of our shame. So in the Old Testament, we see sacrifice and ritual used to cover and to protect us from our shame. But in the New Testament, Jesus' death and resurrection restores us before God. It actually solves the problem of sin and ultimately the problem of shame is linked to the problem of sin. So in the New Testament, God is taking away the very source of our shame. You see, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice was about restoration. It was about restoring that which was lost. Shame was like a, um, a realization that there was something wrong, that something had happened which had made us imperfect. And it was, a, it was this realization um, which you couldn't get rid of unless the problem of sin was solved. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to solve the problem of sin and in so doing, freeing us from our shame. It makes us something completely new. For example, if you have a look at John chapter 3, verse 5 to 7, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And uh, Jesus is answering him and saying, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. It's, it's almost like I can almost picture this as Jesus telling Nicodemus, you of all people shouldn't be surprised that, that you have to be born again. You know the law. The Pharisees were very well educated in the law and were very quick to point out when people were doing things wrong. So Jesus was saying, you should not be surprised at me saying that in order to enter the kingdom of God, something has to be done about us. Because you have seen how everyone is breaking the law, how no one can live up to the law which God has given us. So you shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Because you've seen firsthand that flesh gives birth to flesh. That we in our flesh, in our human nature, are unable to achieve the law of God. So the only solution is to be born into something new. And this is the spirit giving birth to spirit. Then, to further kind of draw this out a bit, Romans 6, verse 6 to 7, Paul talks about, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So the solution here is a complete transformation of who we are. It's God acknowledging that our shame is tied to our sin. It is a genuine response to our fallen nature. But his solution is to restore us, to give us a completely new nature before him. To be set free from sin. Again, in 2 Corinthians verse five, uh, chapter 5, we see in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Again, something completely new. Not, uh, not a patch job, but our actual core being, being completely new. And identifying like... Um, not, and the reason which this answers, responds to our shame is because it's talking about who we are, not just what we do. It's talking about, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And then in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This speaks directly to our, our being, our very um, identity of who we are. And this is what makes it such a powerful answer to our shame. So the Bible is telling us that shame is ultimately the result of sin. Genesis tells us that. We see it when sin entered the world, shame came with it. We know then that everyone has it, because in Romans it tells us that everyone has sin, and we can't separate these two. But then it tells us that Jesus died to take away the source of our shame. He died to take away our sin, to create a new creation that is now without sin and therefore need not have any shame. Being born again is God's solution to our shame. 
being born of the Spirit, being born to create a new creation, something that is um, freed from this burden of sin. But now this leads me to a somewhat challenging question. At least it challenged me when I reached this point in um, kind of my understanding of shame. And that question is, do believers feel shame? If we believe that, uh, that we are set free from shame, we're set free from sin, then does that follow that once we believe, we should not feel any shame anymore? And this question is powerful to me because the answer to it uh, can be either freeing in some case or extremely uh, negative to the point of it actually bringing more shame. Because the trouble is if you believe that believers don't feel shame and then you feel shame, then you feel shame about feeling shame because you shouldn't feel shame because you're a believer. So... The response to that, I've, I mean, there are, there are multiple verses in the Bible which talk about this. Uh, I think one of the ones which has resonated with me, with me the most is in Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. And this is um, Paul talking about why God gave us different giftings in the church. Why do we have teachers? Why do we have um, people who are um, generous? Why do we have people who are gifted in different ways? And he talks about, then we shall no longer be children carried by the waves and blown about by every shifting wind of the teaching of deceitful people who lead others into error by the tricks they invent. Instead, by speaking the truth in a spirit of love, we must grow up in every way to Christ, who is the head. What this tells me is that we are still growing in our Christian faith. That our salvation is not the end of our spiritual journey, it's just the beginning. And that we still need to continue to wrestle with some of these issues in our lives. That we still need to come before God for help and support, to rely on Him. That the reason that God has given us giftings in the church is because we need them. Because once we're saved, there is still more work for us to do. We must grow up in every way to Christ, means we're not there yet. And that includes our sense of shame. The difference is that before the shame was justified. There was something wrong. But now, the shame comes from deceit. It comes from believing things about ourselves which are no longer true. It comes from a source of believing that there is something wrong with us when God has already told us that there is a nothing that I have redeemed you, I have restored you in my sight. So I want to come back to the question which God asked in the beginning. Who told you? I believe this is a message for believers who struggle with shame. Is God's question, who told you? 
Who told you that you're unforgivable when I said you're forgiven? Who told you that you're unredeemable when I redeemed you? Who told you that you're worthless when I told you that you're an heir to my kingdom? Who told you that you are bound to sin when I have made you a new creation? Who told you that you're unlovable when I have demonstrated my love to you? For me, this has been a powerful exposure to um, what it means to really encounter shame and to encounter what God has to say about it. The truth is, I'm not there yet either. (laughs) I still struggle in some areas in my life with shame. I've become particularly acutely aware of that, bringing this message together. But the thing which I keep coming back to is this word from God, who told you? Who told me about who I am that would make me believe that that is what I am when God has said something different? The trouble is that I need to keep reminding myself of this because it's so easy when you hear these things all around you to take them on and to forget about what God has said. This is why we talk about the importance of spending time in God's word. Because we need to remind ourselves, this is what he said about me. This is what he said about who I am and what I am able to achieve. He has told me that I'm not bound to sin anymore. He's told me that I have the power to choose to make the right decisions. I am not stuck repeating my same cycles of behavior. He has freed me from that so that I can choose a different path. So I'm going to ask the band just to come back now. And I want to spend a bit of time for, for us to kind of start to reflect a bit on this. For those who are still asking about what is the whole deal with God, My encouragement to you is that he is the solution to our shame. He is the solution to the problem that we have that brings about this sense of of shame in our lives. And while there may be some things, like some elements of shame, we can explain away, ultimately there is a shame which goes deeper, which when we're honest with ourselves, we have to acknowledge is there because of something being wrong. And that is the shame which is solved by being born again, by coming before God and letting him create a new creation in us. To those who have already taken the step, I just want to remind you about God's words. Who told you? Sometimes identifying our shame isn't particularly easy. We hide from it so well that we don't, we don't think about it. We don't, um, we don't know that it's even there until something happens that triggers it. 
So this is where it's important for us to keep this in mind because we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when that event's going to come along that is going to prevent us from hiding from our shame any longer and make us come face to face with it. And it is in that moment that we need to remember God telling us, who told you that's how you are? What did I tell you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in this time, that when we end up face to face with our shame, that you would remind us of what you said, what you say about us. Lord, I pray that if we are wrestling with our shame even right now, that we would still have the strength to come to you, to lay it before you, and to let you create a new creation in our life. Lord, I pray that you would touch our lives, that you would be with us through the weeks, that you would help us to come to terms with the shame, that we would be able to be vulnerable with those around us, with those we love the most, that you would help us to be able to find the connection we truly need by being vulnerable, by having the freedom from shame that comes when you redefine who we think we are. In Jesus' name, amen.